This is Future Heist. Conversations with people making change. My name is Rena Neve Smith. Why you gotta do me like this episode was recorded in summer 2018. I'm Sophia Khan and uh, last year a picture of me with a member of the EDL went viral and um, gained like a lot of traction and lots of people used it as like the image of kind of like anti-racist resistance for a couple of weeks <laughs> and then since then I've been doing lots of kind of random projects and I signed to Elite and I've been modelling. And you got involved with a lot of stuff didn't you like you um, I think went to Labour Conference with and did social media with Jeremy Corbyn mm-hmm. and you've done a TED talk and you've been on the Days 100 like yeah it's been it's been exciting. Yeah, it's been like a busy, it's like coming up to just over a year now. It's been a busy year. Lots of, yeah, lots of crazy things have happened. And just when I think it's like, got to the best it can be, it'll like die down for a few months or a few weeks and then something equally as crazy will happen. And that's just what keeps happening now. Yeah. Um, you got, um, you got signed with Elite um, following the kind of like, thrust into the spotlight is that something that you expected to happen from from everything uh no not really uh i think it was quite a surprise to me and sort of everyone else that was like following uh the story at the time because it just seemed like um if i was going to take like any career paths from the picture it'd be seen more like journalism or um political and I've kind of just been keeping them going, like in the background, uh, as projects, just like modelling. Um, but yeah, no, modelling's the one I got assigned to, so that's what I've been up to. Yeah. And it must have been, Did was it a sense of like, this was an opportunity that came along, so why not take it and kind of see where it took you? Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah, it was completely like out of the blue. Didn't see it happening. But don't, don't say no, and it's actually like, um, giving me like loads of opportunities and put me in contact with a lot of people who do more like journalist and um, political work. So yeah, it's worked yeah. out well. Amazing. The fashion industry is notoriously difficult to access and quite a traditional industry. Do you think that it's an industry that needs to change? Well, I don't know. I think the modeling industry, like, oh. It's a really tricky one because I think like most things, like like high end like clothing, it splits off into like just pure like capitalism and hype beast and popularity contests and, blah, 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 and to an, like to a degree there's always that in like all modelling, all big newspapers, magazines, like absolutely everything. And it's like a um, I mean the fashion world in itself is a system completely like modeled around hierarchy and money and that's probably why people say it's so hard to break into it because unless you've got popularity or money you're gonna find it very difficult um, so uh, I mean there's some things that can like immediately be changed like you know like issues with like um, 
like inappropriate photographers. You've got what is it like? Is it shit model management? No, I can't mm-hmm. remember who it is. Who keeps exposing people? Um, and that's insane. Like that is. But again, I don't think that's like exclusive just to the modeling world. It's just um, maybe it happens a little bit more, or it happens in different circumstances. Because obviously, like as a photographer, if you're if it's just you and like a sixteen-year-old model, fourteen-year-old model. Um, you are put in a position of like trust and modeling world is really strange when you start off and I'm so glad I didn't start off when I was really young just expected to like hang out with like 40 year old dudes and their cameras because uh, that is just like completely would not have been within my comfort comfort zone at all but I know it happens to a lot of people and it's like my background like growing up was like Eastern European Pakistani and Muslim and that is just like not something that would have been like that would have been completely foreign to me and I know I probably would have given up modelling a long time ago if I was expected to be like comfortable things like that but um, yes I don't know there's some things that can immediately be changed um, but those aren't things that are exclusive to modelling as long as it's a safe if it's, if, as long as it's safe and you know people get paid on time and people don't feel uncomfortable and like the bare minimum I don't think there's much you can do to make it any better because at the end of the day it's like selling clothes mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely and I mean thinking about the model industry but also thinking about the wider fashion industry um, it seems like there's on the surface a desire for change um, but at the same time, there's always this undercurrent of, you know, profit and making money. So, for example, you have brands that are now, um, like Nike had a, a hijab for wearing when people work out, which on the one hand, like, could be seen as a positive step because it's about including a more diverse range of people in, in what they do. But on the other hand you might argue that it's like quite cynical on their part to sort of exploit a market. Do you know what I mean? What do you think about that? Um, I think with that, there aren't... Like, it depends how deep you want to get into that argument because there aren't sports headscarves for women. Mm-hmm. And women want to do sports and they want to wear their headscarves. Mm-hmm. So the only way that they could have made that, like... I mean, we live in, like, a capitalist world. Nike are capitalists. Mm-hmm. They, they're... They're a huge like corporation. They they make money. That's their job. So unless they started giving out free free headscarves, mm-hmm. free sports headscarves, I don't know how you would avoid that. I think I don't really have an issue with it because at the end of the day, um, we don't live in a in a society where things are you know made based on need mm-hmm. and um, like ready ava- readily available to people that need them. So yeah, no, I don't see a problem with a headscarf. So I think there's like there's better examples of um, markets being exploited like uh, than that like um, kind of rainbow logos around pride for like Barclays or like companies that have affiliations with companies who work in the Middle East or Russia and things like that where um, LGBTQ plus rights don't exist or um, in brand I don't know if that's a word like using like bigger girls or girls with like skin conditions and things like that and actually when you look at the lineup for most of them they're all still like stereotypically beautiful people and uh, that is just it's just to sell 
um, rather than filling a market is just so people look at it and it's like the easiest way to make someone buy something if they can relate to it so mm-hmm. one of those definitely yeah it's interesting do you I mean obviously modelling wasn't something that you expressly went into um, it was something that sort of came to you which arguably is how, how most models actually uh, start out but is it do you see um, your modelling as part of your work in order to bring up around change or, or do you see it as, as part of an, another vehicle that you can use to to bring some change to the world? Yeah, I think it's... Mm, um, I think me personally, I it's not... Um, it's not a way that I'm going to bring about change because I'm not known for modelling. I'm not someone like um, Adua Abua who like is famous because she's a model who who also has a really powerful voice. Um, I'm someone who kind of um, grew popularity through like a completely different way and is now modelling. So I think it'd be really weird if I came into it now and decided out of the blue that I was going to try and change like, the modelling world. And I think I'd have to see... Like, there are definitely things I'm like... I've seen that I'm not happy with, but I, I think, um, it, yeah, it's one of those. Um, but as far as I know, um, I've met like a lot of really important people who are bringing about change outside of like their designing work or their modeling work or whatever. So it's not, I can see like it has purpose in, in what I want to be doing 100% and it's fun. So and you should always try something once so that's it yeah i don't think it's that like like deep yeah no, that's cool um tell me about your photography because you had an exhibition was it your first exhibition this year is that right yeah um was that this year? yeah it was <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that was just um that was like uh working with a company who um I don't actually know like what you kind of call it, but they put in like funding proposals to bring like money into um, events or people or kind of um, areas um, that aren't usually exposed to the arts and exposed to funding. It's like kind of working class inner city um, Birmingham young people. And yeah, we were just working with um, one such group and it was to make a South Asian inspired track from beginning to end using kind of professional recording equipment, maybe for the first time some of them um, kind of working with producers and it was just like a leg up so that they, they had something under their belt. They had some experience with like studio time and things and I was just doing... Um, photo documentary for that and kind of just hanging about with them and like following their story it was like six or eight weeks long and that was like my role in that but yeah it was really fun and then we had an exhibition and the kind of kids all performed and yeah it was really great yeah that sounds fun how long have you done photography for um a couple of years now not that long i started on film and then it became a pain in the ass uh, so I moved to digital for that like one project and I think I'm going to go back to film again if I can oh interesting, how come? Um, I don't I don't edit pictures ever like even when I'm working for a fee like I don't edit them 
because uh, I just don't see the point. Like I've got, I don't know, I don't see the point. I'm just like a like a luddite. Um, so I've got like a really bad camera, and I like it, and I don't want to change it, and I don't like Photoshop, and I don't know. I'm a bit of like a I don't know the words. Is it like purist or idealist? But I just think if you can't take the perfect picture the first time, then just don't bother taking it. Like just just go home, think about a different picture you're gonna take. Uh, but yeah, never be a bit both there. <laughs> so um, so yeah, so but with film, no one really expects you to. So I can just pretend that I'm like normal. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think that like? I mean, I understand that like, you're you're coming at it from like a, a sort of like methodical point of view, as in like it's it's about the way it's captured. But do you think there's an overuse of Photoshop today? I don't ever 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 see the need for Photoshop ever ever ever. Like I just I don't know if that's like a really weird like very specific standpoint, but I just don't understand it because. Um, I think it's really easy to take a very average looking picture and like batter the fuck out of it on Photoshop and make it look like it's something that it's not. And I don't know. And and there's kind of a lot of, there's a really big wave of people over editing things. And it's like, I, when I look at like such a photographer's art, I can't see any progression because it just all looks a bit like, hey, what do you think? I can't see. There's no like journey in there. It's just like you were always bad at Photoshop and you're still bad at Photoshop. And I don't know if your photographs have gotten any better. Right. But I just never see the need for it. I don't care if like the colours are off or if like there's blemishes or anything like that. I just don't like, don't get it. And I had a good old go at it. I'm decent at Photoshop, but I don't tell anyone that because I never want to edit my pictures. <laughs> so yeah, and I hate like, I mean never like when you, like in the modeling industry, like that's obvious, like Photoshop's way too overused. Like, I've had my bindi piercing edited out, and it's just like, there's no need, like, there's a reason I got it done, mm-hmm. and it's so, uh, it could be seen, not edited out, when you don't yeah. like it. Yeah. And it's just like, so, like, I've had like, like, I have like a, a scar on my leg from like high jumping, and I've had that edited out, and it's like, why the fuck would you do that? Like, mm-hmm. you might as well just put like a new head on me, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think it's like, just really like, yeah. Like obscure. Which actually the fashion industry or like certain people in the fashion industry have been accused of doing before is like there's been I'm pretty sure like I well, can't remember the specific like there's skin lighting, but there's also examples where like it looks like and people have been pretty sure that somebody else's head has been put on somebody else's body. <laughs> like literally they've taken one that's one so person you know what I mean it's, it's like, just like insane I just never see the need I don't mind I'd rather look at like a picture that's just not quite bang on mm. but it feels like real mm-hmm. yeah I don't know I just I just really don't like it I just don't uh, yeah can't excuse it <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah at the minute you're working with off the scale vintage um going on to around different festivals can you tell us about that they're a non-profit social enterprise and we deal in vintage clothes and our uh, non-profit side of things is working with mental health in universities um so we're aboard a um vintage bus and we travel the country and it's very it's very like fulfilling yeah it's really nice and we go to festivals over the summer and over the winter we just freeze our asses off in like markets and leamington spa and I really, really like it. 
I really do. Like it's um, not just the um, the non-profit side of it, which is obviously like sounds really good, um, but it's like kept me really grounded like the past year because I don't know, like I've had like go sees with Vogue in London, and then like I get a call from my boss and she's like oh Seth what's going on and I'm like I'm coming right down there and we like do Camden Market twice a month so I'll have like a go see the Vogue and then I'll be like selling clothes down the market and it's like the two sides of fashion and I really love that because it keeps you like you don't get caught up in either one of them it's like I was doing I did like um, like men's fashion week for Bethany Williams who I know you've had um, doing a podcast and um, yeah, I was working in Camden. I told my boss I'd be gone for like two hours, did the show, it just came right back in. And, <laughs> Amazing. And you've got it, it's like really like, it's quite like uh, physically rigorous. So you've got to like, you've got to know how to use like a ratchet strap. You've got to be able to kind of climb on top of the bus and sort stuff out. You've got to have like a basic understanding of like vintage mechanics. Uh, it's really, really fun. It's very, very neat, and there's lots of problem solving, and there's lots of freedom given to me by my boss. So it's like when I joined, there wasn't really a job for me, and then I was kind of like, oh, we should branch out. We spoke about it. Now we have like an ASOS boutique, which I run, and and I've done like a lot of imagery for them with my photography. Like it is just completely like higgledy piggledy, but it's like a baby of mine, so it's really good. Yeah, it sounds exciting, and. Um you approached them for a job, is that right? Yeah. yeah Tell us about how you started with them. So, um, I started with them around, just before this time last year actually. And um, I've, been, I've been following them around for ages. Uh, one of my friends introduced me to uh, Gail, who's the business owner, this crazy American lady who I just loved her bits. And she's like family and uh, she used to have a shop and that was kind of going under at the time and they were going to close it and focus on the bus so they were getting rid of all the staff at the same time that I was trying to get a job um, and I kind of uh, just worked out all the events she'd be doing in Birmingham many local ones and followed us to them and then asked her for a job and after a while she was like yeah go on then yeah that's brilliant and what was it about I mean obviously it's um like I imagine uh, kind of the clothing side of it must be really interesting and and you know vintage is like such an amazing thing but also this social side of it can you tell me a bit about like what what the charity does so we're like um, we do work in universities and throughout the year we do a couple of dates um, that are just us coming into universities with the bus building like rapport with the student union uh, talking to kids about things um, uh, we always have like leaflets and things on the bus about like mental health how to spot it what your options are because it's so like and I had experiences with friends as well that went to uni last year who um, I just never realised because I'd never been I had no idea that it was um, like such you were so at risk and you were so isolated because I don't know I never I've never been that like close to my family so I never really like depended on them so when I moved away and I moved out um, like a while ago now I never really it was never like a shock to me but a lot a lot of other people are really close to their families so when they move out I just had no idea it was just like so so yeah like universities like first year students uh, are like mad at risk so we try and like target them a bit mm -hmm. but we also um, 
anywhere else that we do um most people who work there's like seven of us in the on like the summer rota who have something to do with the business and i think everyone in that rota at some point or has yeah at some point has had some kind of mental like illness and there's like um or it's like an ongoing thing so everyone in the group we have people sometimes they see like the big issue signs so partially summoned by them uh, or they'll see the mental health things on the side of the bus and they'll come in and they'll just really need a chat and that's like what we what happens like loads and we kind of just like we just chat to them and it's really nice uh, but then the more like yeah systematic one is universities we go in for mental health awareness weeks we go in for their like um, student union events if they do them and we're always by um, the student union or the university's mental health desk their tables so we're like the drawing them in and then we kind of either try and help them as best we can or forward them on to whoever we can um, forward them on to mm-hmm. yeah yeah and is that like um, other support charities and yeah like yeah it, yeah well we um my boss is like the, the brains behind that I just what I mostly do my contribution to it all um, is is being quite underpaid a lot <laughs> and being okay with it because I know like the money that the bus makes on like a regular day a regular commercial day in Camden will just go into funding it through the winter which is like when we make least money number one and number two funding it for to get us to those universities so we can keep the ongoing work um, so we can maintain that yeah um because mental health seems to be like sometimes I'm not sure if it's just that people are talking more about it because there's less of a stigma but it seems to be that um pe- people's issues like around mental health seem to be growing and like especially the younger generation seem to have like a lot of anxiety depression things like that mm. why do you think that might be uh, I think it's two things and they're like the most obvious answers as well like in the past um, no one totally spoke about mental health so it's like we would never know I mean we can't we can't even estimate really how big a problem it was 50 years ago um, because any studies that were done then I don't know how, how well I'd believe them uh, and the other one is just like uh, technological new age um input overwhelming everyone and pressure and kind of the growing importance of grades and competition and it all basically just comes back down to capitalism (laughs) because we would all be be a lot happier um but no but it is all the things which are like inherently connected to it so it's like technology that we can't control or um we can't control or isn't made uh, according to needs of people it's made according to needs of companies who'll be able to market it um, like lots of things which I just didn't think are like relevant anymore like having like a watch that like speaks to you mm-hmm. I don't understand it like people went many many years without watches that spoke to them and no one really had a problem um, and when phones came out you just had a watch and a phone and everyone just yeah, managed yeah, yeah. And now you have a phone and a watch that talks to you and then a phone that talks to you and then a fucking speaker that talks to you and they're all talking to you all the time and you would lose your mind. In fact, time 
time's a funny one. It's funny bring that up because actually Britain the the UK wasn't even on all on one time zone until like within the last two hundred years, which is when trains came along. And once trains came in, then they had to it's like literally they didn't not necessarily the clocks in London didn't used to be necessarily the same time. I mean they were around the same time, but not exactly to the same second. And you know, and before that, I mean, you know, for centuries and centuries people couldn't afford apart from the very rich that like, couldn't afford timepieces or ways to tell the time and clocks are obviously like a fairly recent invention in terms of so yeah I think that's a really interesting concept that of the of even time because time can produce like an anxiety can't it like mm-hmm. if you if you think about like yeah imagine that back then you could just be like sorry my, my clock I don't have a clock at yeah, home yeah, yeah. and the one down the road is in a different time zone exactly so, so it wouldn't be like so you know, yeah exactly so you know today where it's like oh my god you're two minutes late you know, that, that whole concept of being two minutes late is actually... And there were trains, yeah. so it's not you could be late for. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, I just don't think there's any need for it. Mm-hmm. But we're being marketed... It's being marketed to us like there is a need for it, mm. which is enough reason for us to buy it. When it actually comes down to it, I don't know how much easier or better they make our lives. Mm-hmm. They just make them more anxious. Mm-hmm. Or either, either make them more anxious... Or they exist like sympathetically to keep up with the anxiety as something else. You could argue like, oh, my um, Amazon Echo, um, I can set a shopping list on it. And it's like, well, why do you need to set shopping lists on it? It's because you work like 12 hour days trying to feed a family, which you, you'd never have to work that long 50 years ago mm-hmm. because there wasn't the same kind of, um, there wasn't the same need for it. Mm-hmm. Pressures, yeah. And I think it, it's interesting that you guys focus on um, like university students because that's certainly a t- it's a time in, in your life when you're very impressionable. And people who are at university, it's it's they're kind of they're usually working towards getting something which will then get them into the workplace. So it's it's a time when anxieties like can be quite high, really, because it's a yeah, it's a, it's a pressured time. Yeah. Um. 100%. I didn't go to university mm-hmm. and I am of university age so can't really speak on that front <laughs> to be honest yeah. but no like I don't think you're given like a whole lot of options because you go to university and like you said you get stressed out and the exact same things happen to my friends and they've had to drop out and they're restarting completely like people that are really like well accomplished well prepared well everything out of the blue like it just hits them and they're like shit I need to make a job out of this in three years Mm -hmm. and then um, like I didn't go to university and I haven't had that pressure but I feel like I have like some sense of like um, like going with the flow and like drive at the same time but if you aren't born with that, like I can imagine that'd be really scary. And sometimes it really scares me as well. And I feel like I'm like as lucky as they get when it comes to not going to university, but being comfortable with that and being happy with it. And like as a choice. So I don't know, like you're just not given up. Like I just, oh, it's just like crazy that we're in this like system where you should, be, you should feel pressured for what you want to do. It shouldn't work like that. You should be like, you should be given so much support throughout these like informative years that you're made to feel like a wanted and welcome and valuable member of society that can really add someone add something to it rather than you stressing your ass off trying to work out how you're going to afford a mortgage in 10 years 
I just think that's like the saddest thing and people just can't get their heads around it that it A wasn't always like that B isn't like that in other countries and it's just like sad people just accepting it yeah definitely yeah I think you're right um, we're coming to the end and I wanted to ask you um, you first became famous through a picture of you standing up to the EDL and um, the far right are on the rise again and there's been like from the comments that Boris Johnson's been making about women who wear burqas to attacks on mosques and things like that this podcast is all about what people can do what do you think people can like first of all do you think people can do something to help prevent this rise of the far right again um and also what is it the far right has manifested now in a way that is so complex and to some degree we have to kind of give them a bit of respect for that because their situation should be dealt with respect um, because if we don't anyone who's anti-racist, anti-fascist isn't really going to get anywhere um, it's like respecting like a tornado like you really don't want to, you don't like it but unless you do, you're going to die because if you go out to a, to a white man's march, you go out to an EDR march okay, arguably not Nazis but um, we've seen in the past that some of them are <laughs> um, you go out there meaning well and meaning uh, yeah well-meaning and you come at it with like a very old-school approach where you just want to batter a Nazi I mean that's fine but we live in like a centre-right um, kind of liber liberal country whereby if you do that your whole message will be somehow like twisted in a way in the media um, and people who aren't as well-meaning and aren't as willing to be active or getting, the getting their heads kicked in can easily side with um, the far right and it's just like an absolute minefield. You've got to be so careful with what you do and what you say um, because it's, it's, it's all well and good uh, and naive thinking that the far left or radical left um, can do anything to um, change the course that the far rights are at the moment. But it's not going to happen like that because um, they've got, I mean, rebel media, insane amounts of funding. Tommy Robinson, incredibly well-spoken, incredibly good at manipulating a situation. They have people there who are trained to be the spokespeople of the far right, and we don't have anything for, for, the, for the radical left. And um, going out and getting a black block and wearing a balaclava every couple of weeks and turning up to some like suburban suburban village in the black country and shouting at some Nazis isn't going to stop kind of what, what, the, what their plan is. Um, so what you can do is um, I'd start watching a lot of rebel media. What I want, like what I'd maybe at some point, I mean I really should rather than just talking about it, but I've been thinking about it for a while, um, like a radical left and I'm talking radical left, not like Guardian left, like radical left um, news slash journalism um, site or organisation, something very like decentralised, something spread out across the country, not London focused or like interpreted. 
um, channel of sorts. Uh, and then we need equally charismatic, we need equally well-spoken um, radical left presenters and celebrities, and we need exactly what they have, because not only is that a way that we can build up our momentum and try and combat them, it's also like we're starving for it, like, like both sides, um, and even kind of like, I mean, arguably centre-right lean towards propaganda of the far-right, um, but everyone needs propaganda, and I don't think it's a bad thing, it's morale boosting, it's, you need something human, you need something that you can relate to, maybe propaganda is like, a very, like, crude word to use for it, but I think it is at the end of the day, um, and you cannot have, like, a united radical left, um, without, without structures like that in place, um, so that's what I'd really like to get going at some point, something something like that, some news that I know I'd be able to trust whenever I looked at it or Googled it or whatever, it's going to give me um, an opinion from a perspective that, that I would agree with. But in the same way, it won't like, um, like mollycoddle me or kind of put any spins on it. Like if we get battered by the Nazis somewhere, I want to know about it. I don't want to be like, and then the, and then like the anti-racist groups, and then they, like, I want to see like like raw and raw and true, um, but obviously hopefully less um, confused than rebel media mm. and things like that. But yeah, I think that's what needs to be done. We need to get a full understanding of how they're being funded, of how they're using propaganda, of how they're like recruiting, of how all these like insane systems have got with all these levels. And then I think we need to do it better. That's amazing. That's like yeah, I think you're right. I haven't thought of something like that before, but I think you're I think you're really right. It's uh it's very good very good point. <laughs> um just to finish then, uh, we always ask um our guests three things to finish off. Um the first is how can they support you and what you're doing? I mean the only things that I really like do like call outs for uh, are probably like on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, so could they follow you on social media? And uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's like if if I know there's a protest going on or I know someone, then I always post them, and uh, you should always go to them uh, because like for definite they've been like screen checked by me because I wouldn't show my face or something that I didn't know I didn't agree with absolutely everything, every part on. Um, so yeah, you can do that. Off the scale vintage, like people could follow that, I guess. Oh, yeah, no, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah, off the scale vintage on mm-hmm. Depop, ASOS, Boutique, Instagram, I think we're on Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, de- that's the only thing I think I really like plug. Brilliant. That's a good thing to plug, definitely. The second thing that we ask our guests is what can listeners read or watch? Is there anything that springs to mind as like a it's good good thing to um so mental health keep it factual because mm-hmm. also like you don't have problems with like self-diagnosis and things mm-hmm. like that it's mm-hmm. just easy if you stick to the facts uh, i think with politics waterstones has some really great books which are like an introduction to communism an introduction to blah, blah, blah. you can read like communist manifesto 
there you go <laughs> brilliant yeah like that's what i'd suggest because even if you don't agree with it that's fine mm-hmm. but then you like when you have a conversation with someone and they're like uh, actually i'm a communist you can say i disagree with them because mm-hmm. i'd much rather that i'd much rather like an educated um like working class than then just people going and i don't do this with me and yeah. like, there's no real substance there i don't care, give a fuck if you're a communist or not actually the only thing i'd really really recommend to watch which sounds really counterintuitive, but it's watch rebel media. I spend more time watching far right propaganda than I think I do like radical left anything because um, I don't think anything on anything radical left really hits a spot right now. You've got some really like prominent um, and promising far left YouTubers and bloggers and things like that, but I don't see any unity, I don't see any tactical kind of attack uh, mm-hmm. and engagement. It's kind of just like people who've got the best, best, best ideas, people that I agree with 100% and have taught me like loads, um, but there's just, there's no actual plan. It's just meaning well, rather than actually trying to attack a situation. So um, yeah, so I think if you're if, if if you agree with me on the the idea of creating um, same system in the left, then it'd be watching the right because they're killing it, quite frankly. Um, so we need to learn as much as we can from them. Interesting, yeah. nice. Um, the final little question, and again, you've already touched on this a little bit, um, talking about uh, demos and things. But if you were not just reading, not just kind of following people on social media or whatever. If you were to encourage people to go out and do something, what would that be? Oh, ooh, I read, okay, I've got, a, I've got a screenshot of this actually. I've been thinking about it loads recently. And it's like an argument for the hype around um, the Trump, the anti-Trump demos. Mm-hmm. Trump is in many ways the perfect foil for a left that has become more moralistic than political, that sees protest as a means to express their own moral objectifications, objections, <laughs> rather than to mobilise to achieve specific aims. This is what has made protests in recent decades so off-putting, even where one might agree with them, that rallying cry of the Iraq war marches wasn't hands off Iraq or down with Western imperialism, it was not in my name. The slogan of today might as well be I'm better than him. So I think that's like, like you don't, you really like, lots of like left-leaning people, the last thing they'll ever do is criticize the left because they know that we're like trying our hardest, Mm. you know? And lots of people, like it comes from like good places deep down. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you like assess it like that, if you go to one protest a year and it's a big protest that's covered on TV, that's like, you know, people are like smiling and like people bring their kids and stuff um and you kind of like spam on facebook i just don't know how much i agree with that Mm. because it seems a lot more like you're doing it for yourself rather than you're doing it for a cause yeah Uh, yeah i because i know i didn't make it to the trump demo because i was going to the i was going to the um to the one the next day on the 14th which was um the counter demonstration against um the dfla but I heard from the, the one on the 13th of July that there was a lot of people there for the first time, etc. And I was really, and I saw it all over my Instagram as well, and from people who I know, who, but who wouldn't like class themselves as political. 
And I really wondered if people were very, very honest, what the percentage of people were there who were there for the Instagram stories? Yeah, yeah. who's there for the Instagram stories? Who's mm -hmm. gonna go on to do work, mm -hmm. the shit work and the shit protests where no one comes and you stood in the rain and you're like being kettled by police and you're getting arrested mm -hmm and you're keeping your head down because you don't want your uni to find out that you've been arrested or charged or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's like, that's the activists that I know. Mm -hmm. And that's what, like, people like that are respecting it to like no end because that's, we had, you know, thousands for protests of people like that. I wouldn't have an issue with it, but like people, yeah, yeah, Instagram story protests. Mm. It like, it's like, because it, at the end, I'm not trying to one up them by saying like, and I march in the rain. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. But exactly, yeah. like when it comes down to it, like actual change, um, I don't know how many of them, like, you know, like how many people that went to the anti-Iraq war demos who'd go home and eat their like dates from Israel and eat their hummus from Israel and like how many people like boycotting is the easiest thing you can do mm -hmm. um, when it comes to like consumer activism and you know there's just like there's, there's questions there yeah there's questions and I think the Iraq war I don't know who that quote's from but mm. it's like bang on um, it is so so true mm -hmm. it is it's like ooh it really hits an yeah. me. and sometimes you meet people that are bang on like that you can tell their hearts in the right place mm -hmm. if you give them enough time and enough like fire and like mm -hmm. material to read, to um, educate themselves on, they'll come around as well. Because mm -hmm. I think at some point everyone starts off, off like that. I was definitely like that when I was like 14, 15. Because um, you kind of just go there and it's like a bit like tribalism. And like yeah, it's one, exciting. You, yeah, it's like really like, and then you get to a point and you're like, this is shit. And that's the real yeah, activism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when it really kicks in. Okay. When you've had those days where it's like, oh, I really don't want to be here. Mm -hmm. So yeah. That's powerful stuff. Yeah, really, really good. Thank you so much for today. Thanks for having me. That was amazing. Me. So, so good. Thank you. Sweet. <laughs> All right, well, cheers. And let's uh, take like a sign off. Right. Yeah, do a sign off. Why uh, not? We'll do it. <laughs> All right, bye. <laughs> Future Heist is recorded and produced by me, Rena Neve Smith, with original music by Benjamin Tassi and artwork by Fleur Beck. Special thanks to Chloe Vasegi and Joshua Lose Challens. You can follow us on Instagram at future underscore heist.